This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. All right, well, we're going we're gonna to go right into our, 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 our message right now. Um, we're starting a series called Words That Can Change Your Life. Now, one thing that this current pandemic has, has really, and you know, all this social distance has really revealed, is that we are very, very busy people. Because what I've discovered is now that we're not able to gather, now that we're pretty much staying at home, now that movie theaters have been closed down and, and, and sporting events have been closed down, that we have so much more time with family. We're like rediscovering family time. We're rediscovering time with, with God, you know. I mean, I, I'm, literally, I find myself in the middle of, of the afternoon with nothing else to do except to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to read some, some scripture. I'm going to read a book. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some time in prayer. That's what we're discovering. I'm so thankful for that. But what it, what it revealed is that really we have very, very busy lives. And since we're so busy, oftentimes we're too busy for God. So we're starting this series called Words That Can Change Your Life. And we're starting with the word no. Now, I have to be honest with you. I originally, as I was planning this series, I wanted to start with the word yes. And the idea behind it was that there's this amazing yes that God has for his children. And there's a yes that we, are, we, were, we have been designed to say yes to God. But then as I started thinking more about it, I realized that there is something we need to do first before we start talking about yes. We need to start with this word no. It's such an important word. It can liberate your life. It can, it can help you set boundaries in life. You know, there's a time when that word was, was you, you use it all the time. You were probably around the age of two. And you would use it cheerfully and gleefully. And in fact, sometimes even with excitement, like, eat your peas. No. <laughs> uh, clean your room. No. Uh, you know, share, with your, share your toys with your brother. No. And we would use that all the time. That was, a, that was a favorite word for us. But then as time passes and as we get older, we realize that, you know, we don't really love that word no very much. In fact, sometimes um, it's easier to say yes. Sometimes we feel like when we say no, people don't like us. We don't like when people say no to us. In fact, I've got a little short video clip I'd like you to take a look at. This, is a, this might give a, some parents a little bit of P, PTSD, you know, that when you see this, because this is what you've experienced in the past. But take a look at this quick video. No. That's what you can expect when you say no. You expect those temper tantrums from little, little kids. Those are the feelings that we oftentimes, well, we learn over time that it feels better to say yes. So we say yes to our bosses. We say yes to schedules. We say yes to meetings. We say yes to obligations. We say yes to burdens. We say yes to stuff that we're going to buy. We say yes to people that we barely even know. Maybe we don't even like. We say yes, and what happens, our lives get so full so busy. And really what we need is to learn to say no. Shauna Nyquist in her book, in fact, I, as I was reading this book, I was very convicted by this book. Um, just the title convicts me. Her book, Present Over Perfect. 
She says this, and so if you, this is her speaking, if you, like me, have said too many yeses and found that all that hopeful, exciting, wide open, wide open intention has actually left you scraped raw and empty, the word that can change everything is no. I know. I don't like it either. Yes is fun and sparkly and printed on tote bags. No? What if you saw someone wearing a sweatshirt that said just no on it? I mean, I don't want to sit next to that bundle of fun. But no, this is Shauna speaking, no became the scalpel I wielded as I remade my life, slicing through the tender tissue of what needed to go and what I wanted, wanted to remain. God wants to give you today a scalpel to remake your life, to make space for God, because God generally won't force his way. And that's the word no. There's some amazing stories of no in the Bible. There's a story of Joseph. You know the story of Joseph. Many of you are familiar with the story of Joseph. Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. I mean, he is having a bad, bad day. Not just a bad day. He's having a bad year. He's having a bad life at this point. He has all these visions from God, all these things that God has promises that God has told him, and his brothers sell him into slavery. And then he finds himself in Egypt. He's as a servant, slave, working in Potiphar's house when Potiphar's wife approaches him and tries to seduce him, wants him to engage in a relationship that would destroy his life. But he, but Joseph knows his identity. He's not forgotten the dreams that he's had. He's not forgotten about the God that he's had. He knows his identity, he knows what his mission is, and he says no. That no cost him, but God used him. Another great story of no in the Bible is this guy called, named Nehemiah. You know the story of Nehemiah. God sends him on a very, very important mission to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. That he's supposed to go and basically... The city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. The walls have been knocked down. He's supposed to go there and rebuild these walls. That's the mission that God has sent him on. You know, all of us actually have a mission from God. All of us. It doesn't have to be big. It's not your mission from God may not be go and rebuild the, 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 the walls of an entire city. But maybe your mission is to be the best parent that you can be and to lead your children in a, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe your mission is to serve well on a serve team here at Life Church. We all have missions that God has called us to do. But when we're trying to do great things for God, when we're trying to be on mission for God, inevitably we will, there will be forces that will try to distract you, that will try to pull you away from the things that God has called you to do and the person that God's called you to be. So with Nehemiah, it was people who wanted to meet with him. Now there's nothing wrong with people meeting with you right? But they wanted to meet with him, and they wanted to interrupt the construction of the wall. And so Nehemiah responds to this, and I love this sentence, the very first sentence of Nehemiah's response to this, such great clarity. In Nehemiah chapter 6, starting with verse 3, it says, I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? This is Nehemiah speaking to these people who want him to go and, uh, and, and meet with them. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. No, 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 no. Here's a principle that's involved. 
If you know your identity, if you know your identity and you know what your mission is, you will always know when to say no. That's very important. Hear me. If you know your identity and you know what your mission is, you will always know when to say no. No is a scalpel you can wield to remake your life. You see, the problem with my life is that it's so full of stuff, so full of burdens, it's so full of obligations, and that leads to resentment, it leads to busyness, it leads to hurry, and ultimately, ultimately it leads, to, leads to, to, to no space for God. We don't have time for God because we're so busy. And we need to learn to say no. The reason to say no, we say no to a lesser, to a lesser good is so that you could say yes to a greater good. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. This is why we love the word yes. You know, we're going to look at that word next week. God has a great yes for you, and you were born to say yes to God. But we're starting with no. We're starting with no, because I know when life is so full and it's weighted down, and then Pastor Rich comes along and says, hey, you need to say yes to God in your relationship with him. You need to say yes to God in your giving. You need to say yes to God in, 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 you know, with how you serve other people. You need to say yes to God to be on mission. When I say all those things, it feels like it's just another item on your to-do list. It feels like it's just one more thing that you need to do, one more item on your to-do list, and your, your to-do list is already crushing you. And so today we're starting with no. It's, we're starting with emptying our lives out and freeing ourselves up. The good news is that there's a man who lived on this earth who mastered the art of no. And his name is Jesus. He had the most powerful, most creative ways of saying no. His ministry, if you follow, if you look in the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus' ministry, it started, you, know, you remember the story, he started, he was, water, he was baptized by John the Baptist. He starts his ministry not with a great yes, he starts his ministry with, a, with three great no's. In the story, you find it, in, in, in Luke, you find it's that, that Jesus is baptized by John, and then he's affirmed by the Father. The Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And, uh, and Jesus leaves there, and it tells us, this is what it says in Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan... And was led by the Spirit. That's very important to, to understand that. He was led by the Spirit. Okay? This, was, this wasn't his invention. This wasn't his, you know, willful desire. This, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40... Now, and there's something else to, to understand here. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he's going to say no three different times. Sometimes we think... You, you get what I'm saying here? He was led by the Spirit to say no. Sometimes, oftentimes, we think that if the Spirit's leading me, it's always a yes. But he was led into the wilderness to be tempted. And his response to temptation was to say no. So he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Now, the 40 days that we're talking about here, this is where we get the idea of Lent. So we just finished Lent, right? 40 days of Lent. This is where we get that from the scriptures. So for 40 days, Jesus is tempted, and for 40 days, he does not eat anything. And he goes on. The devil said to him, where, where, am I, where are we at? The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written... 
Man shall not live on bread alone. Now, Jesus is hungry. He's 40 days in the desert. He hasn't eaten anything. He's hungry. And Satan says, hey, you see those stones? You're the son of God. You can turn that into bread. Why don't you eat bread? Jesus responds with this, with this sentence. It is written, go back. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Man shall not live on bread alone. Where is it written? Where does Jesus get that idea that something was written that man shall not live on bread alone? He's referring to Moses in Deuteronomy. He's speaking to the Israelites, and he's telling the Israelites that God allowed you to become hungry in the wilderness so that you can learn that man does not live on bread alone. You see, the Israelites had learned, they, they, their job as slaves in Egypt was to build storehouses for Pharaoh. That's what their job was. And what they had done is they had learned, they were taught that you cannot trust that there will be enough. You build these storehouses because you may run out. You have to have stuff. And you have to have more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And that's part of human nature. Humans always want more. Isn't that right? We always want more. So here's the first temptation that Satan comes against Jesus with, and that is, you are what you have. Temptation number one, you are what you have. You are what you have. The world's going to try to convince you that you are what you have, that only bread is going to satisfy you. Now, when the Bible talks about bread, it's not necessarily referring to the stuff that we use to make toast. I mean, okay, part of it is, but it's also a metaphor, it's a metaphor for stuff. It's a symbol for the things that we have. And the enemy's trying to convince you that that stuff is what defines us, right? It's what makes us feel like we are something. What the enemy's trying to say is that you should never have an appetite that is not satisfied. You should never have this hunger inside of you that is not satisfied. That your identity can be found in having nice things. Not just bread, Nice car, a nice house, lots of money, a nice job, nice clothes. Every, each and every one of us, we hear that voice. Now, I don't know what it is for you. All of us hear that voice. Bread means something different to different people. So I don't know what it is for you, but all of us will hear that voice, that you are what you have. So if you don't have much, then you must not be much. You are what you have. I'm a car person. I am. I, I have to be honest. I'm a motorhead. I like cars. I like classic cars. I like, you know, I, I wish I could do some resto mods on some old, old, you know, muscle cars. But if I listen to that voice in my head, if I truly listen and believe this idea that I am what I have, then I would have a fleet of, motor, uh, of, of classic cars in my garage. They wouldn't fit. I would have at least a half a dozen motorcycles of all different kinds. Because what that would say to me is that I am somebody because I have this stuff. You are what you have. So get more. Never be satisfied. And that way you are somebody. So that's really the, the first temptation Jesus says no to. So what, what do we do? How, do? how do we respond to this temptation? The world is, is barking at us. It's telling us, you are what you have. You can't watch TV without seeing a commercial that tells you, tells you you are what you have. Well, the first practice is this. Do without stuff. Practice number one. Okay, so temptation number one is you are what you have. Practice number one is do without some stuff. Do without some stuff. Now, I know that kind of flies in the face of, of, you know, how we think about our economy, how we think about things. 
But the biblical word for what I just talked about, do without some stuff, is fasting. Fasting. That's what Jesus was doing in the, in the, in the desert, in the wilderness. He was fasting, right? Now, fast means you deliberately, you, and, t- and for a temporary time, you refrain from consuming stuff that you ordinarily consume on a regular basis. That's what fasting is all about. And what it does is it's to help you, it's to teach you to learn to what it feels like when, you don't, when you're doing without it, all right? Because sometimes we don't understand what it feels like. We don't get, we don't know what it is that we're, that we're dependent on until we, we, we take it away for a season. That's what fasting is all about. So you can fast with food. Now, fasting is not a way to, to get God to really, really give you what you really, really want. You know, that, that song goes. That's not what fasting is. It's not like, you know, a lot of people treat fasting like it's a hunger strike. Uh, you know what a hunger strike is? <laughs> Like, I'm going to go on strike because I, I'm concerned, I'm, I'm afraid that God might not really take me seriously, and so I've got I've to go on this fast and, and beg God, God, please, 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 give me what I want. But that's not fasting. That's not how God is. God is not that way. So fasting is not, is not you know, trying to twist God's arm to get something. That's not what fasting is. Fasting is also not the same thing as dieting. There's no how-to-look-good naked diet or fast in the Bible, <laughs> So that's not fasting either. See, when I fast, what I'm doing is I'm actually dealing with my appetites. I'm dealing with the things that I crave, the things that I want. See, all of us were born with, you know, with appetites. In fact, when you were born, you were a bundle of appetites. That's all you were. Any moms listening to me, when you had a baby, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's all they wanted was they wanted you because they wanted what you had. They had an, an appetite that would not end. In fact, have you, I don't know if you guys recognize the Sesame Street character. Anybody recognize the Sesame Street character? Right? What's his name? Cookie Monster, right? So Cookie Monster's philosophy of life is like, see cookie, want cookie, eat cookie. That's how he said it, right? See cookie, want cookie, eat cookie. I'm, I'm saying that because Jairus is laughing at me right now. I have somebody actually laughing. <laughs> You know, there's some really smart people. They're working overtime to convince us, to, to, to somehow make us think that we are nothing, nothing less, nothing more than cookie monsters. That we have an appetite, and an appetite must be satisfied. And Jesus says no to that drive. Because we are more, we are more than our appetites. Hear me when I'm saying this. You are more than your appetite. You are a spiritual being designed to be in relationship with God. You are a spiritual being designed to not be a slave to your appetites. That's why we, Jesus says no to the enemy when the enemy says, hey, turn these stones into bread. So you can try fasting, right? In fact, what, what, what I believe fasting is all about is, is showing us, helping us learn that we can have an unsatisfied appetite and still survive. I remember, I remember uh, talking to people along the way, you know, when, when I first started, you know, getting into spiritual life and learning how to fast. And I remember fasting and th- feeling like, I can't make it. I mean, I just had breakfast and I had lunch and I'm not going to have supper and that's something, I'm not going to have supper, and it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I haven't even had supper yet, and I'm already starving to death. 
And in my mind, I'm thinking, there's no way, there's no way I can possibly do this. And fasting is a way to teach us that you can have an unsatisfied appetite. And I'm not just talking about food, but you can have an unsatisfied appetite and survive. In fact, what we learn eventually is that you can have an unsatisfied appetite and actually thrive. So, you might want to try fasting, right? You might want to try fasting from food, for example. And if you've never fasted before, you can maybe skip your supper and, uh, and then not, not have supper and then wake up the next morning and have breakfast. In fact, do you realize that that's where breakfast comes from? Be- breakfast comes from? It's breaking the fast. That's what breakfast is because you've not eaten, right? That's a way of fasting. If you've never fasted before, you might just decide you want to fast for 24 hours. You could do whatever. You can also, you can also fast from shopping. This may be a problem for you. And you want to learn how to, how can I, you know, how can I thrive when I have this compulsion, this desire to purchase, but I'm going to make a choice to not buy stuff. Maybe you need to fast from electronics. I don't know if you've ever thought about this conspiracy that's going on by companies out there. They're diligently trying to make us attached, dependent upon the devices that we have. I remember a few years back, I went with my daughter to Hoo-Hot to have lunch, and we're sitting there having lunch, and I remember looking up, there's a, a family that walked in, they all had their plates in their hands, and they walked in, and they sat down at this booth, um, it was like a mom and a dad and a teenage son and teenage daughter, and they sat at the booth, <clears throat> and I'm not kidding you, the entire time that we were there, they didn't say a word to each other, all four of them, dad, mom, son, and daughter, all four of them were eating their food like this and holding up the phone like this. The whole time. Not a word was spoken. Maybe we need an electronics fast. Do you realize that the average American looks at their phone 150 times a day? It's, it's, our, it's, it's actually our clock, our watch nowadays, right? I need to know what time it is. Oh, okay. Oh, I got a text message? Oh, yeah. Oh, I got a phone call? 150 times. Imagine if you fasted from that. Imagine the kind of person that I would be if I could turn my attention and my thoughts and my mind to God for 150 times in one day. That's how we thrive. So the temptation is that you believe that you are what you have, the practices to do without. The second temptation we find here in verse 5, it says, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. Okay, so Satan takes him up to this place, shows him all the kingdoms. And he says, I'm going to give you all of their authority. In other words, you will be the master over it all. You will possess it all. I'll give you all their authority and their splendor. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the enemy comes and says, listen, you, you, could be, you could have the most impressive resume ever written. You will be the most powerful person around. So the temptation is you are what you do. You are what you do. Worship your work. Sacrifice your life, your heart, your soul, your family on the altar of achievement. You are what you do. That's what the enemy is tempting Jesus with. 
And if you don't, if you don't do much, you're not much. I mean, that's the mantra of this world, isn't it? That's what this world thinks, that you are what you do. So if you do a lot, you must be great. If you don't do much, you must not be much. It's this lie. I can't tell you how many times I have fallen into this trap and into this lie. And so the practice, if you're tempted to to believe that you are what you do, the practice is to do less. Just do less. Let's move on here. There we go. The temptation is you are what you do. The practice is do less. Do less. Now, in the Bible, doing without is called fasting. Doing less is called Sabbath. Rest. Right? Just regularly having a period of time in which you're not working, you're not creating value, you're not being important, you're not, you're not carrying the world on your shoulders, you're, not, you're just enjoying God, you're just resting in God. That's what Sabbath is all about. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, that's what he does. He goes into this wilderness, and for 40 days, he's not preaching to anybody. He's not recruiting a team. He's not healing any sick people. He's not, he's not training anybody. He's not doing any of this stuff. Because it's really important that we do Sabbath, especially those of us who are tempted to think that we are what we do. We need to learn that you're not what you do. Maybe we need to practice Sabbath more often. In fact, let me, let me rephrase it. Maybe I need to practice Sabbath more often because I know that I struggle with that. In fact, I sometimes kick back to this whole idea. I am, I admit, I might be, sometimes be a workaholic. You just ask my wife. We go on vacation and, and we start planning a vacation. Now, mind you, it's vacation, okay? This is supposed to be Sabbath. It's supposed to be relaxing, but I'm planning it out. I've got this place to go, that place to go. I've got the most efficient route to the place that we're going, how we're going to get there, what places we're going to stop at, how much money we're going to spend at this place, how much money we're going to spend at that place. It is not Sabbath. And it's this lie in our head that you are what you do. And here's the thing about Jesus. We're called to follow him. The problem is that when we read the scriptures, we want to follow him in the things that he is doing. Like we want to follow him because we want, to, we want to do what he does. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He preaches the gospel. He walks on water. He calms the storms. We want to do the things that he's doing. But when we are called to follow Jesus, we're also called to follow him into the wilderness. Where he does nothing. Right? He goes, to, he goes into dark, quiet places, and he does nothing. He goes into a mountaintop where it's beautiful, and he does nothing. He goes into a garden, and his heart is, is so stirred. His heart is so heavy because he's going to be crucified, and he goes into this garden. What does he do? He just prays. He doesn't, do, he doesn't raise an army. He doesn't call down angels. He just does nothing. So maybe your practice needs to be Sabbath. The last temptation we see here is in verse 9. It says, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now, you got to understand, let's, let's look at this verse clearly. The, Satan takes him to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem. It's a very public place. It's a crowded place. People are watching. There are all kinds of people around, right? The devil led him to, to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says to him, if you are the son of God... Okay, so if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, 
For it is written, and he goes on, let's continue on. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. In other words, throw yourself down, like just jump out, jump off this pinnacle. And the angels, because you're the son of God, you will call the angels. You'll command the angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. You know what Satan's telling Jesus here? You could be the golden boy. I mean, you could be so popular. People are going to celebrate you. They're going to be excited for you. You can make them applaud you. So temptation number three is you are what people think of you. So the first one is you are what you have. Second one is you are what you do. The third temptation is you are what people think of you. You are what people think of you, right? Be spectacular. Please people. Get people to approve of you. Because if they disapprove you, that would be such a terrible thing. It becomes kind of this addiction, this kind of slavery, right? I mean, we're talking about Jesus here, the Son of God, and who did Jesus not disappoint? I mean, if you just read the scriptures, it's so clear. He disappointed so many people, right? It's amazing who he disappointed. The crowd, the crowd come to him and say, hey, we want you to be our king. We, you can be our king. You can defeat our enemies. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to be king, but not the way you think. He disappointed the crowd. He disappointed the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He says, you're, they said, you're not living up there to our standards of righteousness, and you're hanging out with some pretty bad people. Jesus disappointed them. He disappointed his mom and his brothers. Okay, dude, what is wrong with you? Are you crazy? Do you have this Messiah complex going? You need to come home and stop acting so crazy. He disappointed the mother of James and John when she comes to him and says, hey, my sons have been serving you faithfully. When you're in heaven, won't you let them sit on the left and the right? And she's like, hey, I can't do that. He disappointed almost everybody he came in contact with except his heavenly father. He never disappointed his heavenly father. So here's the practice. Do without human approval. So much of our life, so much of our life is wrapped around human approval. We need to be people who want to please the father and only the father. Let somebody be disappointed in you be okay, and be okay with that. And I have to be honest with you. This is really hard for me. Like right now, you know my job here at Life Church is? My job here at Life Church is to preach sermons to you. you, you I, I mean, I do a lot of other things, but that's one, one of my main jobs is to preach sermons. I guarantee you it's not on my mind that after I preach a sermon that I hope you're disappointed in my sermon. That's not how I feel. I struggle with this, obviously. But yet... My job, really, ultimately, is to please my heavenly Father. To do without human approval. To say no to something you need to say no to. And when somebody's not happy with that, be okay with that. Don't try to change your mind. Don't try to prop up your reputation or build it up again. Because you're not what you have. You're not what you do. And you're not what people think of you, right? Right? So here's your identity. You know what your identity is? 
You are a child of God. You're not the things that you have. You're not the stuff that you do. Your work doesn't make you. And you're definitely not what people say, think of you. You are a child of God. That's who you are, a child of God. Jesus had to say no throughout his entire life. Throughout his entire life, he was saying no. At the very beginning of his ministry, he said no. Oftentimes, he, Pharisees and religious leaders wanted him to live a certain way and act a certain way, and he said no to that. He goes into the temple, and they're exchanging stuff, and they're trying to buy relationship with God, and he goes in there, and he says no to that. And even when he's hanging on the cross, he says no. They say, they say, hey, you're the son of God. You healed, you saved others. Save yourself. And you know what? Jesus could have saved himself. He could have called angels from heaven to take him off that cross. But he said no. And his no, his no was God's great yes to us. His no was God saying yes to grace, to love, to mercy, and compassion for the human race by Jesus saying no. Next week, we're going we're gonna to talk about this yes, but this week, we have to talk about no. This is really hard in the world that we live in. The world's going to resist you. The world's going to pressure you. The world's going to push you into doing too much and buying too much and committing to too much. During this season where many things have been halted, this is a great opportunity for us. This is a great opportunity for us to, to examine. There's a lot of things that we have been doing. There's a lot of things that we're, we're not having to respond to anymore because of the coronavirus stuff and the, you know, the social dis distancing that's happening. It's a good opportunity for us to reevaluate and s decide what are the things that I do not want to bring back into my life again. Once this all goes. What are the things I need to stop? What are the things I need to say no to? Maybe it's a relationship that you're in. Maybe your, your, your emotions are going faster than your understanding of what God's purposes is for that relationship. And you need to step back from that and you say, okay, no. We, we need to slow this thing down. Maybe it's the stuff that you have. Maybe you feel better when you get stuff and maybe God wants you to practice doing without a little bit. Maybe it's that little voice inside your head that wants you to extend yourself more than you should. Really care about what people think and making you sacrifice some things that you should never ever sacrifice. What is it? What is it that you need to say no to this week? In fact, here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do is as you, here's what I believe. I don't think that I have to enumerate all the things that you need to say no to. I believe that as soon as I started talking about this very subject, this very topic of no, you automatically knew what it is in your life that you need to say no to. Immediately the Holy Spirit started telling you this is what needs to be cut out of your life. This is what you need to stop doing. This is what you need to stop saying yes to. You knew that already. You know that. So I don't need to enumerate, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Will you practice... Will you practice that this week? And what I'd like you to do is maybe you can message me. Send me a message. Find me on Facebook. If you're already friends with me on Facebook, it would be great. Find me on Facebook. And just message me. We don't need to make it public. Message me and tell me, Pastor Rich, this is what I'm saying no to in my life. 
This is what I'm cutting out in my life so that I can say yes to a greater good. I'm saying no to this lesser thing so that I can say yes to a greater thing. I want to make space in my life for you, God, because after all, my ultimate goal is to please you. I am your child, and you are my God. I want to pray for you. Father, we want to thank you, God, for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And even right now, Father, as we have been talking about these words that can change our life, maybe we've never even considered this, this word no, and what does it mean, and how does it apply. And so right now, Father, we are we're stepping out in boldness. We're, we're allowing courage to rise up so we can start saying no to a few things. Maybe there's an addiction to to. to buying stuff and feeling good about the things that we buy, God, and we need to say no to that. We need to, we need to fast from those things. Maybe we have this, this idea that what we do makes us who we are. Maybe you're calling us to do less, Father, to step into a season where our identity is not wrapped up in the things that we do, but rather in who we are as your children, Father, will you speak to us right now, each and every one of us, even as everybody's watching this morning, God, will you speak to us, speak to us, speak to us about how we are your children, the beloved of Christ. You love us. You care for us. You don't measure us by what we do or what we have or what other people say about us. You measure us because of what Jesus did for each and every one of us. Jesus taught us that sometimes saying no means a big yes for God. So God, will you help us today to say no? In Jesus' name.